breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Beard to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's town. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we hear from a Texas farmer who testified before the House Judiciary Committee, which is touring the border between the U.S. and Mexico. We also hear about consumer sentiments about farmers and in particular the soy industry and the World Dairy Expo plans an in-person show for 2021. We feature an important discussion about mental health on the farm. Jesse Allen is talking soybeans in this week's Market Talk Report. The Hot Rod Farmer Ray Bohax has another installment of Bushels and Cents. And we hear the music of country up-and-comer Victoria Rose. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, a few news items of note. We start out with audio from South Texas farmer and rancher Scott Frazier. He testified before members of the House Judiciary Committee who are touring the border this week. Frazier discusses the problems that border farmers and ranchers are having with the flood of illegal aliens crossing the border right now. Many of them are having, you know, property damage done by these folks that are trafficking in these coyotes they're referred to, that are trafficking some of these folks to the major cities. Uh, they'll steal a car or suburban or pickup truck and take the seats out, fill them with as many people as they can. And if they start, Border Patrol gets after them, they'll just run through a fence and tear up anything they need to to try to get away. Frazier said this situation is not helping the ag labor shortage. Certainly we have a need for, you know, some labor force in agriculture, but this isn't necessarily the way to go about it. And most of these folks don't care to work in agriculture, so it's not helping as much there. Frazier says the sudden halt in border wall construction has put farms, ranches, and border towns at risk of flooding if there's a big rain event. Some of the levees and things like that along the river that protect not only farmland, but the cities down there, the towns, from floods. You know, Some of those levees were knocked down or, or reduced in, in height. So if we were to ever get a, a big uh, flood event, Certainly it would damage a lot of crops and livestock, but it would also damage those towns and cities along the river downstream from where the levees were breached. And right now with the border wall construction being stopped and put on hold, we basically have these gaping holes in the levees that if we were to get a flood event could be catastrophic to many folks on the border in agriculture and outside of agriculture also. The hearing was held Wednesday in the border city of Edinburgh, Texas. And we want to thank Kerry Martin with Texas Farm Bureau Radio for that audio. And also this week, consumers consider farmers the most trusted members of the supply chain when it comes to ensuring safety. The United Soybean Board recently unveiled the results of a consumer survey that gathered consumer thoughts on the supply chain. Mace Thornton, the USB Vice President of Communications and Marketing Strategy, says the survey revealed a strong level of consumer trust in farmers. About 78% of the consumers that were polled placed farmers as the most trusted spot in the food supply chain, and that's very encouraging. We think those results are kind of a combination of the overall safety and stability of U.S. grown food. And once people know more about 
the sustainability of U.S. grown food and the strategies that farmers are putting in place at the farm level, those numbers are going to skyrocket even more. Also important is that a majority of the consumers surveyed view soy as a healthy option. So it's very important for the soy industry in particular while human food from soy makes up a, a smaller piece of the pie than a lot of the other sectors, we know that when it comes to the overall reputation for U.S. soy, 99% of that reputation is coming directly from consumers. So it allows us to find out what is on their minds, the topics that are driving their thoughts, and then being able to address them as we build those shared values. Thornton says the survey identified the conversation about soy sustainability as an area of opportunity. Less than about half were really aware of all of the sustainability work that's going on in the soy space, about what farmers are actually putting in place at the farm level to address some of the environmental challenges. So we look at that as really being an opportunity for soy to be not only a catalyst, but also a vector for sustainability. And two thirds felt that that was even more positive. So we're gonna make sure that we are able to take advantage of that going forward. Well, you can keep up with all the latest news from the United Soybean Board at unitedsoybean.org and Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on RFD TV. Also this week, it was announced that the World Dairy Expo will stay in Madison, Wisconsin for 2021. Katie Schmidt, World Dairy Expo Communications Manager, says the decision follows assurances the event can be held. We are staying in Madison, and that decision really was based on conversations that we were having and the assurance that we have in regards to how we can hold our event in Madison and really not taking into consideration that contract extension that was proposed by Dane County earlier in the month. Dane County, Wisconsin recently offered a 10-year contract to the event. World Dairy Expo organizers say they will consider that contract over the coming months. We've been hard at work planning for our comeback show in 2021 for the past year. So our staff is excited to see some changes in the trade show in terms of relocating some booths to a brand new redesigned trade center that opened up the arena building to become the Tan Bark, which is Expo's Bar and Grill. And the Tan Bark will now host actually morning keynote speakers during World Dairy Expo. And uh, we are putting together plans to also introduce seminars in Spanish this year for our on-farm managers and mid-managers of dairies throughout the country. As for the international attendees, it's hard to predict what the attendance will be this year due to COVID-19 travel restrictions. We have absolutely no idea. We are still inviting our international guests. There are U.S. embassies that are open that are offering visa appointments to get international attendees over here. We do realize that likely there will be a smaller number of them, but luckily World Expo has some great virtual resources in place already. And the 54th edition of the event is scheduled for the Expo's historic home, the Alliant Energy Center, September 28th through October 2nd, 2021. And a special thanks to Brian Winnikins with WRDN Radio in Durand, Wisconsin for that audio. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, one of the key issues in agriculture that we try to keep front and center here on the show is mental health on the farmer ranch. It's an issue that has long plagued rural America but has largely been taboo. 
The need for greater mental health education, recognition, and treatment has only grown through the pandemic, so we wanted to bring back the topic this week in the form of a panel discussion hosted by Pam Yonke of the Midwest Farm Report. Also participating in the discussion are Farmer and Mental Health Organization founder Jeff Ditzenberger and John Schutzke with the University of Wisconsin Extension. So I want to welcome in two of my guests today. Uh, they are longtime friends of the fabulous Farm Babe, and they're going to bring some very meaningful content to you that can be really replicated in many different states. Joining me, my friend Jeff Ditzenberger. Now, Jeff is a, a farmer himself in Greene County. He is also a veteran, and he most recently founded uh, Tugs, which he'll tell you more about, which is designed as an outreach mechanism for veterans that struggle. And obviously, the farmers are part of that veteran community as well. We'll be visiting with him and his uh, background in just a moment. And also John Schutzke, who's our university extension, uh, I call him farm safety specialist, but he is much, much more than that. He has acted as real hub and coordinator of a lot of farm uh, resources that help families address the issues that they may be facing when it comes to mental health. And he's also created a lot of support mechanisms that they can access privately on their own to make sure that they are getting help in an area, let's face it, rural America just doesn't have the resources that many other metropolitan areas might. Jeff, I wanna start with you, my friend. Tell them a little bit about how you come to be a part of this mental wellness uh, conversation. Thanks, Pam. Well, basically um, it kind of started uh, with my military career, um, I was in Desert Storm, and even though I wasn't boots on the ground, uh, saw some things. I mean, you know, a lot of people saw the scuds getting shot out of the sky on TV, and I actually saw it in person um, and started to suffer some, from some PTSD and some, uh, some other mental diagnosis once I got out of the military. And then um, <clears throat> when I got out of the military, I uh, went back into agricultural roots. I was raised in a small farm, small dairy farm down in South Wayne, Wisconsin town of about 400 people. Uh, but when I got out of the military, my coping skills to uh, reacclimate myself weren't, uh, weren't exactly the best and uh, got very, very heavily involved in, in drinking heavily. And uh, in 1992, I uh, tried to take my own life by uh, setting a, a house on fire, a burn, uh, an abandoned house. Um, and it wasn't until after that incident that I actually started getting some some mental health, but you know, when you take when you say that rural America is struggling to get mental health, I mean that's still going on today. It's still I'm talking to some of the therapists that I work with, and they're six to eight weeks out to get somebody in, and uh, and I that was one of the things that frustrated me. So years down the road in 2013, I had the privilege to uh, speak in front of a, a group of men at uh, Guys Night Out for Madison Safe Communities, and. Um, I started talking about my Navy career and how we needed tugboats uh, to get our big chips around. And it kind of clicked something with me, Pam. And then shortly after that, I founded uh, my nonprofit, Tugs, which stands for Talking, Understanding, Growing, and Supporting, because even big ships need a little help sometimes. I appreciate you being along with us, Jeff. And uh, Jeff's going to talk a little bit more about how today he's boots on the ground, meeting as safely as he can with social distance in play with farm families that are struggling in the economic climate that we've got right now. So we'll get to that uh, personal touch, if you will, coming up in just a moment. He's got a personal touch uh, with a lot of data behind him. John Schutzke is a fellow that I've turned to. And it seems, John, that we're, we're constantly having these conversations 
although different scenarios. Uh, I mentioned at the outset that the pandemic has escalated some of the things that we're experiencing in rural communities when it comes to mental health and stress. But you and I have had these conversations, whether it's a drought, whether it's high interest rates, uh, whether it's low milk prices, and you have got some fantastic data that you want to share on the science behind how we react the way we react. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome, Pam. I wanted to, just like Jeff, give you just a little bit of background. I grew up on a family farm, Northwest Indiana. My parents are still there today. They're in their 80s now and um, kind of went through the farm crisis in the 1980s, late 70s, early 80s. But it wasn't until 1988, it worked for the Illinois Farm Bureau during the 88 drought and really began to get into stress and mental health. And obviously things cycle and we're in one of those cycles now with a lot of different challenges. So I'm just gonna, Pam, I'm just gonna fly through some material here for your for your broadcasters and your colleagues. Um, I think that farm stress is no secret. When we talk about mental health, mental well-being, suicide prevention, I do like to look upstream and like look at this whole situation with all the stresses we face. It's obvious weather, uh, conditions, politics, labor issues right now. And there are a lot of different impacts, everything from health, physical health, uh, the potential for depression risk, suicide risk, and, and also farm safety. You mentioned my background in farm injury prevention and farm safety, and we know that there's a really strong connection. Uh, down at the bottom of this graphic also, um, you know, in Wisconsin, just like other states, people who might be listening, our average farmers are about 10 to 15 years older than the general population. So there's stress that's associated with aging. We've got the COVID challenges right now. With a lot of younger families, it's not just the older people, but younger families with COVID happening on the farm, happening in the community, we've got challenges with children and homeschooling. So there's just a lot of stuff that's happening out there right now. Not to mention all of the routine stuff that we deal with, weather and tornadoes and natural disasters and floods and, and the whole realm. Pam, what I like to talk about when I'm out working with all the farmers I work with over the course of a year, and by the way, the last time I was out in the real world, traveled down to Savannah, Georgia for the National Farmers Union Annual Convention. I'd been in Austin, Texas like the month before that. So it's been a while. But when I'm out talking to farmers, I like to talk about the fact that stress isn't just in your head. Um, when we talk about people who are dealing with stress and those feelings that you know everybody knows about, the tightness in the chest, the feelings of the sweaty palms and just kind of feeling agitated, having difficulty sleeping, those kinds of things. There's a reason why that happens. It's not just in our, in our brain, it's not just in our head. Stress is caused by some hormones or fuel and those fuels are typically cortisol, which is a hormone and also adrenaline. And I just want to, to, to emphasize the fact that when we're under stress, our body begins to pump out these chemicals. Back in the days when we're like cavemen and cave women, 100,000 years ago, if you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, um, it was good to have all these hormones because it prepared you to run, your blood pressure would go up, your blood sugar would, would increase, the amount of blood lipids. And part of that was just to give you the energy to either fight off the threat or to run away. But the problem now is we don't have those same natural releases. And so that impact on the brain in some cases causes people to make bad decisions. And that just like further reinforces this cycle. The brain kind of shuts down to some extent. Um, that's overstating it a little bit. But when we're under stress, our fear center activates. The part of our brain that we need for making really good positive decisions, we have difficulty making those decisions. 
And if you think about that, just like the days of the caveman and the saber-toothed tiger, tigers, um, you didn't want to have to stop and think about it. You wanted your body to be ready to act, to fight, to run, and you didn't want to spend time overanalyzing the situation. So there's reasons why all this stuff happens to us. It's not because we're weak. It's not because we can't handle the stress. These are real changes that occur in our body. They can be managed. And I think we'll come back and talk about that in a moment. The other thing that happens in a lot of cases, a lot of us, we have difficulty sleeping in times of stress. Um, but where I want to kind of turn this back over to you is in these times of stress, when we have difficulty, production times are difficult. We are faced with a lot of complexity, a lot of thinking about the future. And if we're under that constant barrage of stress, it can create kind of a lack of a perceived lack of control. And that's when people begin to experience the depression, the anxiety. Again, I mentioned the potential increased risk for suicide, but I want to really emphasize for your listeners and your viewers that these are, these are real changes and they're things that we can cope and deal with. All right. Thank you, John. We appreciate that. Jeff, I want to talk to you about what you're seeing today and maybe what you've seen over the past. Uh, Jeff and I talk uh, fairly frequently about different people that feel comfortable reaching out to him with different challenges. Um, talk to me about the differences you're noticing in how men cope with stress on the farm versus females trying to cope with the stress that John was pointing out, some of it newfound, uh, you know, the kids are home now all the time. You're still trying to go out and help with chores. You maybe have an off-farm job and you're trying to work in the home with the kids while chores still have to go on. So if you can share with us what you've noticed as far as how the two sexes seem to be trying to compensate and deal with these new stressors. Thanks, Pam. Honestly, I don't think they are. Um, Part of, the, part of the challenge I'm noticing now, you know, we went through kind of a farm crisis a couple of years ago when you and I really started to hammer this home about, you know, reached out, reached out, reached out. And the challenge within the farming community is that one, you've got a proud, you've got proud people on both sides of the fence, men and women on both sides of, you know, and there's a lot of women farmers out there, uh, you know, that are running the farm operations and the, and the husbands are the ones that work off the farm. So there's some dynamics that have changed over the years that makes it a little more challenging as well. But the thing is, is that a lot of the families that I talk to, the wives, the wives that work off the farm or the, the, the guys that work off the farm will say, that was my sanctuary. That was my time away to kind of regroup, to, to deal with the stresses that I would deal with when I would come back home. And then we'd send the kids to school and we, you know, and we would have some time, you know, as a, as a husband and wife to, to talk. And it's, and it's not even the husbands and wives all together. And it's the partners, like if it's a brother, father, son, you know, there's so many different dynamics that we have here. And that's one of the core things that my group does is like we try to get people in touch with people that are unbiased. Because if you're a if you're a male farmer and you come to the kitchen table after you get done milking cows or done in the combine for the day and you tell your wife, well, I, I got a fee bill to pay, but there's no money in the account. She's dealing with the same angst that that, um, you know, that the, that the husband is dealing with. So there's no. There's no separation from that. You know, there's, there's, it's not the word she can say, oh, it'll be okay. We'll make it work. You know, I've got a paycheck coming in or whatever the, whatever the case may be. And then you throw the kids into the dynamic. And I tell you what, Pam, I'm finding these kids are smarter and smarter and smarter about what's going on with mom and dad nowadays or grandma or grandpa or whoever. 
in this atmosphere because they're seeing the angst between their parents. And one of the things that I've been working on is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of my, a lot of the people that I talk to will say, Oh, I got to stay strong for the kids. And I'm like, no, you don't. You can sit down and have a conversation with your children about your mental health. Cause it does a couple of things. One, it gives you as a family unit time to sit down and actually talk about something that's very, very important to where they will understand if mom and dad say the word hippopotamus, the kids need to go in the other room and let mom and dad sort some things out and not have to hear some of the other conversation that's going on that really they shouldn't have to necessarily have to deal with. Um, the other thing from a man's perspective, and this is, this is why, why I, I'm very passionate about this is that women are apt to talk about their feelings. You, you ladies will, will talk to your best friend or your, your sister, or, you know, your, 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 your core group. And you talk about your feelings, like it's nobody's business. Men are not like that. And one of the things that I've found very interesting is when I give my public presentations, when I used to do that uh, before COVID is that, you know, you have guys in the audience and you could have a hundred guys and 20 women and you tell the guys to say the word feelings. And they're like, and then you tell the women to say the word feelings and those 10 women would just blow the guys out of the water, you know? So there's, we're, we can't hardly even say the word much less talk about what the actual part of it is. And, you know, I've, 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 one of the things that I try to do is I try to get people to understand that these feelings are natural. Like if you need to cry in front of your kids, cry in front of your kids. If you need to cry in front of your wife, cry in front of your wife. If you need to cry in front of your, your best friend, do it. It's, it, it, it's a way to release some of this stress. And, and, and now with, with COVID, the other challenge that I'm finding with that, Pam, is that, and we were actually talking about this in one of the mental health classes that I'm taking uh, just the other night, now there's a new buzz phrase out there called pandemic exhaustion. We're tired of hearing about masks. We're tired of hearing about uh, um, the numbers. We're tired of hearing about all this rhetoric that, that comes around it. So now you've just got one more challenge added onto it because, you know, I talked to, to my next door neighbor who happens to be my ex-wife. I talked to her and she's like, I haven't been off the farm in six weeks. And I absolutely love it. But when I go to town, I get more anxiety because there's so many things that are different now that I don't, like she doesn't have that connection and that's one of the challenges with rural America. You know, not all farmers are Facebook savvy. Not all farmers are Snapchat savvy. Not all farmers even tune into the news other than listen to the, to the uh, fabulous farm babe to get the market reports and see what's going on in agriculture. But the rest of the media, we don't want to listen to because we're tired of it. You know, so there's so many new challenges out there that like my my whole presentation at the kitchen table has had to entire has 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 entirely had to change. And there's still that pride thing. You know, that's one of the hardest things to get past with the agricultural community is that pride thing. And I don't care if it's a if it's a farmer, if it's an agricultural business, you know, there is a pride that goes along with with agriculturists in general. And it's hard to break down some of that barrier and say, hey, you know what, you can still be upset and and have pride. You can still if you have to close up your business, you can close up your business with pride. It's not something you did wrong. And it's the, the, the conversations are very in-depth. And, and, and one of the things that I tell people all the time is that I would rather have that tough conversation than to have a conversation at somebody's funeral because they've gotten to the point where Don was talking about where they end their life. And I've said this for years, farmers can make this look really, really like an accident. You know, farmers have that ability with the machinery and that kind of stuff. And I was tractor safety assistant coordinator and one of the lead instructors in Greene County for 20 years. So I got 
I got the privilege to to read through a lot of these farm accidents, and it wasn't until like five years ago, Pam, that I'm like, man, was that actually an accident? Because what happens if you have an accident on the farm? Life insurance gets paid out, farm's taken care of, your family's taken care of, and you can die with pride as opposed to, you know, just putting a gun to your head and pulling the trigger or, you know, hanging yourself or, or whatever other, you know, whatever other means that you want to, violent means that you want to die by, you know, so we need to, as agriculturists, we need to, as an agricultural community, we need to, as, as anybody associated with agriculture, we need to talk to them about what's going on with them at their level. And I've even had psychiatrists and psychologists call me and say, I don't know how to talk to these guys. Like they're coming in and talking about how they're getting 350 a bushel for corn and that's not enough to pay the bills. I don't understand what this is or what's $16 a hundred weight for milk and, and why are they dumping their milk and why are they upset about that? There's so many more conversations going on right now. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed, Jeff. And I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, John, I want to, I want to switch over to you. Uh, you know, what Jeff is saying is uh, another issue that we need to address, and that is the resources in rural communities, people that understand what we're going through. And I want to ask you, from your opinion, you know, here we are, this is driving me batty that I can't go out and see my farm audience, that I can't be out, all the events that I so love and that got me into this job canceled. Are we in a worse situation regarding mental health now on the farm because of all this isolation that is basically forced on us. And to Jeff's point, you don't resonate as well, even via virtual worlds. Are we in a worse situation, a worse predicament now in handling our mental health than even before the pandemic? Yeah, Pam, I think that's so true. I mean, and I've seen Jeff, I've seen Jeff and have, have people come up to him, farmers and other people in the community come up and in Jeff's case, hug him, Lots of conversations. Uh, my, my, in my own case, you know, tears have flowed during meetings. And what's really, what's really difficult now, or let me say that in non-COVID times, when you have those people who come up and they've got the tears in their eyes, we oftentimes struggle with like, what do I do with that? That's why people like avoid those really tough, tough moments. And you don't really have to do anything with it. You, you need to be there. In some cases, it is you know, giving a person a hug or a pat on the back and just listening to them. When we talk about communications breaking down, you know, communications, what is it? We're, we've got one mouth and two ears for a reason. A lot of communications when we talk about stress and mental health is simply just listening, reflecting back, showing people that like, yeah, you know, it's gotta be really difficult. You don't have to have the right things to say at all times, it's being there. And just to go back to your question, yeah, being there physically right now is really difficult. Um, so I do think that it is an extra challenge. I think the more personalized you can get it, whether it's FaceTime or Zoom, that certainly is better than just telephone. And telephone is better than just email because you can communicate better that way. But yeah, I'm, I'm certainly hoping like everybody else, this, this vaccine and the whole deal can't, it can't end quick enough for me. And I, I really do miss being out there. And, and I know that a lot of our farmers will continue to need support. Let's talk a little bit on the resources that have been pulled together. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on here, John. We've got farm broadcasters from Minnesota, from Illinois. There has been a real collection of uh, resources that have been channeled together. And I wanna commend all of the partners that recognize you can't go it alone. 
talk to me a little bit about the collective effort that we have seen unify during the pandemic. Yeah, so Pam, thanks. And I just want to um, kind of circle back. Remember that circle, that vicious circle, the chronic stress that we find ourselves in. And, and the resources we've put together is really about helping people throttle back. Remember, I talked about the fuel, the cortisol, the adrenaline. It's about throttling back that fuel. And when I first started doing a lot of work in this area back in 2016, I was thinking, okay, what kind of analogy can I use with my farmers that I'm working with? And um, I was actually on a Facebook chat one day with Max Armstrong of all people. And there was a guy who jumped into the chat and he happened to be one of the gentlemen who had sold my dad, his old John Deere 40, uh, four, 630, sorry. My dad also had a 4020. And so I ended up getting a picture of his 4020. So I thought about the, the throttle on the tractor. And when you think about these hormones that are coursing through our body in times of stress, it's just like, where the heck is that throttle? When I was a little kid, I understood the gas pedal in the pickup truck, but I didn't understand the throttle. So the question then is like, where is the throttle? Where are the throttles? And a lot of our work is about how you throttle back um, that, that really potentially horrible stress response. When you talk about stress, having some sense of control is like really, really important. Um, and I think, Pam, you've probably done this, Jeff, all of us at times when we get really like we feel out of control, we might sit down on a Sunday afternoon and make a list. Um, what I suggest is that farmers and families, you do it the, as a family, that you sit down once a week and you bring the family together and you farm, you farm your time. You know, we talk about farming our land, farming our animals. We farm our time. You know, so think about like what's what are one or two really important things coming up in this next week we want to focus on. Maybe it is about the kids. Maybe it's ho the homeschooling situation. Maybe it's, um, you know, thinking about your 2021 operating loan. But what's that focus going to be? What are the actions to get ourselves started? What kinds of resources do we need? On Monday morning when we get out of bed, who do we need to call or send a text message to? How, how will we measure it? One of the things when we talk about decision-making, it's it's not like I can drive down to the the rip farm down here. I live in Cross Plains. So I, if, I, if I go out and combine 40 acres in the day, I can look at the field and see that it's been combined. But when you're doing planning and things that involve a lot of mental activity, sometimes it's hard to know that you've made progress. So how will I measure it? I've also in my thing farmed, if I farmed it, I've also involved everybody um, who needs to be involved. And that includes, Jeff mentioned this, that includes your kids. That includes members of the family. And it also sometimes is helpful to set a deadline. Um, I'm a guy, when my wife asks me, okay, when are you going to get that project done? A lot of times I push back. But if we don't have deadlines, sometimes we don't get things done. So, so that simple act of planning can really, really make a difference to help you in the short term kind of regain that sense of control. And that helps to break that cycle. Let me just whip through a, a couple of other things here. Um, I've got this picture of this, you know, this chopper and tractor, you know, $750,000 worth of equipment out in the field. We would never dream of going out in planting season or silage making season with all this equipment and then not put fuel in it. Or worse yet, we put crappy grade, low quality fuel in it. And yet that's exactly what we do to our bodies. So during these times of COVID and then during the busy times of spring harvest, you know, summer, whether you're making hay, milk and cows, whatever you're doing, uh, making sure that you're eating regularly, eating breakfast is really important, getting enough intake of fluid. It doesn't mean like I can speak 
for, I can speak for myself. I don't want to speak for you and Jeff. I don't eat perfectly, but I do know when I don't eat well, you know, we're talking about balance, kind of, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables, lean protein, the good dairy products from here in Wisconsin. Um, when I get in a hurry, you know, this is like from the, from the shelf at Quick Trip, I'm out traveling. This is my food aisle. Um, if I'm really lucky, I might stop and grab some cheese curds or something, which is probably better than this. But the candy bars and stuff, you know, once in a while, not a big deal. So minimizing the sugar, eating that balance, fueling the machine is really critical. Communication is also critical. When I talked about, you know, the role of your farm broadcasters, the role of other people who may be listening, um, communication is that two-way street, being able to talk about your feelings, being okay crying, uh, listening to people, actively listening, being present is really crucial. And this is something we've really tried to focus on in extension. Here's another thing I did for one of our big dairy groups in the state a couple of months back. And it, the title of my presentation was about slowing the world down. And I think sometimes we get so preoccupied with all of that future uncertainty and we forget like the beauty of this industry we work in. You know, we've got the landscape, we've got the open, you know, we're free out on, on, on the land and in our, in our buildings and on the tractor. So sometimes not, not just dwelling on those things that are missing in the future or the uncertainty, but thinking about, you know, the beauty that our ancestors have left us, the, the family, you know, the farm family is still such an important part of what we do in agriculture. Um, people need to make this their own. I'm not suggesting everybody go out and buy yoga pants and start meditating, but spending some time um, jotting things down, jotting ideas down from time to time. Some people do, and Jeff does this. I see him reflecting all the time on social media. Uh, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world is Robin Kinney from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Every morning she posts this kind of like reflective gratitude piece. And we know that with stress management, this stuff really does make a difference. It changes our minds and that is really necessary. Prayer, a lot of people find comfort in prayer or in church, whether that's in person or online. Sitting under a tree, um, sitting in a tree stand here in the month of November. I talk to farmers, it's like the most peaceful, stress-free time I have is deer hunting season. So how can you find a way to kind of recreate that peace on a regular basis, going for a walk, writing a letter to somebody, but you need to find something that works for you. These practices we know really do make a difference. We do have a lot of resources in extension at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, we have a website. If you search farm stress and Wisconsin or resilient farms, families, businesses, and communities, you can get to our website, but we've kind of clustered around these ideas of wellness, well-being, stress management, communications, relationships. And also I'll, I'll add one other thing, financial management. That's a big part of it that we try to focus on and uh, would welcome the opportunity to chat with any of your, of your listeners or viewers. Well, and that's one thing that I hope this conversation leads to our follow-up conversations. Uh, and again, I surely hope that our farm broadcasters, my other colleagues, will uh, check in on Jeff as well as John via social media or otherwise. Uh, just quick wrap up, uh, maybe your parting words, fellas. Uh, there's one thing here in Wisconsin that, that, that very much drives me nuts, and I'm a product of it. And that is that so many people identify with the farm. The farm and myself are, we are the same. And I worry about that, 
especially in light of not just COVID, but we have economic challenges, no doubt. And I, is there a way or can you give us some sense of direction on how with when we're dealing with that farm is my identity? If that identity goes away, if I am the one that loses it after multi-generations, trying to separate, maybe something to that effect as a, motor, you know, as a parting conversation, or I'll uh, toss it open to Jeff, how about uh, some wrap-up thoughts for our folks? Because this is not something that's going away. We'll make it, please get a vaccine. I want us all to be in person next November. But the issues we're talking about today are not going away. No, they're they're not, Pam. And I'm going to let John maybe uh, your your more deep question. Let him answer that. Sorry, John, to throw you under the bus. No, that's okay. Um, but one of the things that I do, and I just want to throw this out there quick. When you know John talks about how I do a lot of self reflection and that and that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I do that I started a long time ago, originally was with text messaging, but now I do it with Snapchat. Is I used to send out 20 Snapchats a day. To random friends and just something you know like hey have a good day or you know now I, I find an inspirational saying and and you know and send that out and when I was doing that um I was getting a 55 to 65 percent response rate of almost the same thing I needed to hear that now I have 140 people that require me to do it every single day and I still do it to my I still do it to 20 to 20 random people and I'm getting almost an 80% response rate right now. Of, oh, I needed to hear that. Or I knew someone, or I know someone who needs to hear that or, or the number of screen shares that I see and screenshots and stuff like that. And, and we can be too positive too. There's a, there's a, there's a thing out there called toxic positivity. You know, it doesn't always have to be sunshines and rainbows. We can tell people it's okay to have a bad day. We can tell people that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And it's just, what is it, Pam? It's just a bad day. It's not a bad life. And, and remind them that there, there are people out there that will listen to them. And listening is important. Our society has been trained, I think, too much to listen to respond. And we just need to listen to listen. And if they identify with the farm, you know, I'm looking at it with, with the guy that I farm with. You know, there's talk about possibly because of his age and stuff. In a year or two, we might not be doing that anymore. You know, we actually started down here when people were losing the farms here a couple of years ago. We started building those skills for those farmers. We started bringing them in and teaching them how to fill out a resume teach them how to, to, to do a cover letter, do that kind of stuff. So we can bridge that gap. We can bridge that gap and tell them that just because they're fifth generation or sixth generation, I don't care if it's second generation, it's not their fault. It's circumstances behind it. And, and, and that I, I think definitely helps. But my biggest thing, folks, that the one thing I want you to take on this whole thing is that reach out to people. The biggest thing you can do is communicate. And I agree with John. Don't just do it by text message. Don't just do it by Snapchat. Reach out to your core group and then, you know, throw a pebble in the water and let that water ripple and reach out to those people outside of that ripple and just say, hey, I was thinking about you, wondering how you're doing. You know, put a mask on and go to your neighbors if they'll let you come on the farm for crying out loud. But we have to communicate. We have to ask. We have to have some of these hard conversations because honestly, folks, the hard conversations in life are much better in the hard conversations at a funeral. I can try to tackle the other question, but I want to just, um, Jeff and I run in a lot of the same circles on, particularly I'm thinking on Facebook, right, Jeff? Like I'm not a big Snapchat guy. I'm too old for that. But but every day, like I'll, I'll be, we've got a mutual friend, for example, up in Rice Lake or up in Barron County. And like, I, I'll see something from her and the, the next 
comment above mine will be from Jeff Ditzenberger. So Jeff, you're, you're, you're a role model in doing that. I mentioned um, Robin Kinney at Farm Bureau, but Jeff is another one of those guys that I think a lot of us could really learn a lot from. Pam, just to your question, and you know, I don't want to sugarcoat this. I, I used to get in trouble when I worked in Minnesota if I was talking about helping people who needed to transition out. I did a lot of work with uh, farmers with disabilities who may in fact not be able to continue to farm anymore because of severe disability or health problem. But I've also worked with farmers who have had to find their way out for financial reasons. You know, one of the things I think is really crucial and helpful is to do everything within your power to stay together as a couple. These can be really difficult. If, if, assuming you're a couple, assuming you have a, a life partner or whatever, um, oftentimes these things are, can be things that are very divisive. Um, there's lots of help out there. Most of our states have like uh, ways of getting support, whether it's marital counseling or other forms of help. I think always reaching out and getting that help from your banker, your attorney, your accountant. Don't try to tackle this by yourself. It's too big of a thing. Here's the other thing that I would always tell farmers with, with disabilities. Sit down, make a list of what are the top 10 things you love about being on the farm. And very rarely is it, you know, having to go out at two in the morning and pull a calf or it's usually, you know, it's the freedom. It's, it's about, you know, being out on the landscape. It's about being in nature, being able to work outside, being able to be your own boss and just realize there, there are, there are opportunities to do that kind of thing. And yet, so you've got this list of 10 things you really want to hang on to. There's ways to meet those needs. Um, and, and I'll just, I'll just end my little uh, tirade here. So my dad retired uh, kind of at the top of the world uh, in 2008. So he retired from being a farmer. It was a good time for him to have his machinery sale and get out. But my dad's now 82. He In the springtime, he's working 50, 60 hours a week. He's dr driving a fertilizer truck and hauling anhydrous ammonia. He'll, he may see this video. I don't know. He complains every year about having to go out and renew his CDL and doing the testing and all that kind of stuff. But it's like he's farming. He's out meeting with people. He's he's on the road. He's doing the stuff he loves to do. He's with farmers. So he's able to fulfill a lot of those things. He's making a little bit of money. And he, has, he doesn't have any of the risks that he had back when he was farming. So, so it's not the end of the world when it happens, but you do need the resources and you need to be thoughtful about it. I hope that helps. Thank you again, Jeff Ditzenberger from uh, his organization, Tugs. John Schutzke, who is uh, one of our university extension uh, resources extraordinaire. And we'd like to thank the fabulous farm babe, Pam Yonke of the Midwest Farm Report, who moderated that discussion, which was part of last November's National Association of Farm Broadcasters virtual conference. We'd also like to direct you to some important mental health resources on the American Farm Bureau Federation's website, which is fb.org forward slash land forward slash F-S-O-M, which stands for Farm State of Mind. Again, fb.org forward slash land forward slash F-S-O-M. And that'll give you a ton of great resources for mental health on the farm and ranch. And we'll try to have someone from the Farm Bureau on in the coming weeks to provide us with an update on that vital program. World Ag Expo Online is not just one week. We'll be here all year long with new information, seminars, links to exhibitors, and more. Mark your calendar to make sure you visit the show website every month. Want to get monthly reminders of updated news and information? Go to worldagexpo.org to sign up for the email newsletter. 
More than 600 online exhibitors coming from 48 states and 65 countries. Attendance is free for the online show throughout 2021. Just go to worldagexpo.org. Next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we've seen a correction in the soybean markets over the past week, and we're keeping an eye on weather conditions in Europe. And Jesse Allen is along to break it all down for us in this week's Market Talk Report. Jesse. Well, thank you very much, Brent, for having me for another edition of Fast Line Fast Track with this Market Talk update. I talked earlier this last week with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics during Wednesday's episode of Market Talk. And uh, we first looked at a little bit of the correction we've seen in the soybean market here this week which was ahead of Friday's WASDE report, and he points to some fresh weather issues to look at in Europe on top of what's going on with the correction in the soybean market. And we actually have a fresh weather issue in Europe. There's enough frost around that France in particular is looking at losing potentially some of their uh, soy oil, or I should say flaxseed or sunflower oil a crop that's been recently planted. And uh, it looks like a pretty wide-ranging frost, essentially all the way across Europe, and into the Baltic states. So I think that was the primary buy the rumor, sell the fact that news broke and and the bean oil trade went down affecting the soybeans. I'm wondering too, Jesse, and this goes back to Friday's WASDE report. I'm wondering with uh, a recent uh, expectation being thrown out, I think it was AgroConsult, if I remember right, came out with a fresh 137.1 Brazil soybean production number. And I wonder if that didn't hurt the soy complex a little bit in terms of the soybeans specifically. And and this is really interesting and this is a neat dynamic because we've got the bookends of the very bullish grain stocks report and acreage report on the one hand. And now the other bookend is going to be Friday's WASDE report. And I'm really going to be eager to see what USDA says about the South American crop because fresh intelligence coming from my colleague uh, down in uh, Brazil, Argentina border area is suggesting that when it comes to soybeans, um, he knows farmers in Rio Grande do Sul uh, have lost 15% of their yields and, and they're pretty much done harvesting. And yet CONAB, the national agency, has that province a record projection for soybean production. Similar in the corn, maybe even more so in the corn. Um, Paraná is an example of a province where uh, production that has been seen by some of his farmer uh, colleagues uh, down 10 to 35 percent, and yet Conab here again has Paraná corn production up 12 percent versus last year. Mm-hmm. We still don't have an answer to how good or bad that South American crop is. I think the trade is assuming it's good, but we're starting to see a little bit of price action in the port price in Brazil, something you and I have talked about. Well, and let's talk about those world soy prices. And this is a graph you shared with me. And it's just, okay, we can kind of continue on and, and look at what you're talking about there. But it's interesting to look at all these factors, Mike. And especially as we're heading into this WASDE report on Friday, I'm with you. I'm very curious to see what USDA says about that South American soy crop. Yeah, this chart shows you the orange line is the Paranagua port price. And since the end of March, we've essentially gone from $496 a ton U.S. to $525. We know that we're well over 80% harvested for the country. So you got to wonder why are prices going up at the port? We know the quality is better than the trade was expecting because of those early poor quality yield reports. Um, but here we are almost all the way through harvest and prices are going up. When that happens in our country, it tends to reflect a tighter or shorter crop than what the trade was expecting. So I think we really are in need of some good, hard, solid numbers. Having said that, the USDA Ag Attaché just came out with some fresh numbers 
and uh, they kept, I believe, both the corn and the bean uh, production numbers uh, in line with USDA's March number. And so we've got a range on soybean production in Brazil by trade estimates, 105 to 110, pretty wide this late in the season. Um, I'm at 107. And I, I think, though, the trade maybe is hinting they're getting more worried about the return of La Nina in Brazil because it looks hot and dry the next 10 to 14 days. Mike, uh, any outside market factors we need to watch here moving forward uh, as we're looking at these uh, prices and the ags and whatnot? And just uh, stock market quiet today, uh, but I know crude oil, we've been watching that market as well. Anything on the outside markets we need to pay attention to? Well, you know, I think, Jesse, between the ISM numbers, the Institute of Supply Management numbers, and, and some of the producer price indexes for inflation readings at the wholesale level here in the United States and in China, I think we are looking at maybe the birth or the genesis of some demand pull inflation. In other words, wages may be on their way up as we go into summer and we break out of the COVID pandemic. We've had cost push inflation, which has been a market where you want to hedge rallies. If we are starting to see more demand pull inflation and the dollar can go back below 90 uh, even uh, in the Chinese currency can go back up above its uh, February highs, I think uh, you've got a situation where you may be able to extend some gains uh, in, in terms of funds investing and allocating into the commodity sector. Does that mean grains and livestock? It's too early to tell right now. But if we have any supply issues that continue to be present, like planting delays, for instance, we may have some real you know, pop in this market that I want to be real cautious about not overhedging. And again, those are comments with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics from this past Wednesday's episode of the Market Talk podcast. Find more on demand by going to markettalkag.com in Nashville with another Market Talk update for Fast Line Fast Track. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. And you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. Again, markettalkag.com. And you can find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network, and you can hear him host Your Ag Today, weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy the hot rod farmer, Ray Hacks. Don't forget you can check out all of his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest Radio, heard exclusively on Sirius XM Channel 147, Rural Radio. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. If the radio in your vehicle or farm equipment suddenly starts to pick up static when on the AM band... That may be the canary in the coal mine to identify a weak diode in the alternator. When the diode begins to fail, it will introduce unrectified AC current into the electrical system without a noticeable decrease in charging system voltage. The frequency the AM band operates on is extremely sensitive and is an excellent indicator of a pending charging system issue. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Ray Bohax has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Rural Radio Channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. So I hope you go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house, where this week's special guest is one of the rising stars in country music. At just 16 years old, Victoria Rose is rapidly making a name for herself as a singer and songwriter, and we're lucky enough to have 
have her here on the program this week to showcase some of her new music. Victoria, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, she is uh, tonight at her home in Orlando, Florida, which I would assume is is warmer, nicer than uh, just about most everywhere else in the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like eighty degrees here. It's very nice. Spring is almost here, and I know there's a lot of people that can't wait. I know a lot of the uh, farmers and ranchers around the country definitely can't wait for that warmer weather. So, uh, de- definitely uh, welcome. How's everything going for you? It's going really well. How are you? I'm doing great. Just excited to showcase some of this new music here. And I want to kick things off this week with your latest single. This is I Don't Miss You, Victoria Rose on Fast Line, Fast Track. I'm still looking back, thinking about you and what we had. I'm trying to miss you. I'm trying to want you back, but I can't I think I moved on from the past And I know that I don't miss you But I hope you do I hope you realize everything you put me through I hope you miss all the little things that I Great stuff there. Thank you. 
And for everybody just jumping on now, hey, we are chatting with Victoria Rose, an up-and-coming singer-songwriter out of the Orlando, Florida area, uh, where you're part of a school music conservatory program and working with DMA, DME, excuse me, Orlando's Artist Development Program. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but first off, your early days were actually spent uh, growing up on the Monongahela River there in southwestern <laughs> Pennsylvania, which yes. is a mouthful in and of itself. <laughs> and like many of the folks who appear on the show here, you developed a love not only for listening to country music but also playing instruments at an early age tell me about that so when i grew up in Monongahela river we were like always listening to country music and i feel like music like music in general has always been part of my family because i mean not like a huge part but a good like my mom played the organ when she was younger my dad played a couple instruments and my mom always wanted me to play the piano so i just started playing at six and I just remember like when I first started playing, I was so excited about it that I would get up early in the morning and start playing and everyone would get mad at me because it's like eight o'clock in the morning and I'm just playing piano as loud as I could be. And um, but once after I started playing piano, um, actually before that, my mom started, my mom always said like I've always been singing. So once I started playing piano, I was always singing along with the piano, whether it was just like going with the melody of what I was learning or making up like my own songs. I was like always singing and playing music. And so once I got a little older, I started really like, I became just fell in love with me. That's all I wanted to do. And so I started playing the ukulele and the guitar and I then started participating in anything I could vocally, whether it was like a choir, a talent show or, um, I even got to sing the national anthem at a monster truck jam. And so that was amazing. And I always thought I wanted to do music for a living. And I, I was always set on country music because like I, I always grew up listening to it. And that's even like my dad and I would always blast like Zach Brown band in the truck. And like, that's all like my favorite genre of music that I, like I've always been into. Who were some of the other artists you grew up listening to? Um, a lot of them, I, a lot was Dolly Parton. I listened to Dolly Parton a lot. Um, Little Big Town, Carrie Underwood, which is one of my favorites. Um, Zach Brown Band, like I mentioned. And then as I got older, like when the new artists were coming out, I love Kelsey Ballerini and Maren Morris. And those are all my favorites. Uh-huh. A- anybody else you're listening to much these days? Um, I've really been liking Lainey Wilson and Luke Combs. Those are yeah. like good, my favorites. Well, I, I know uh, you do a lot of your own original material, but you also uh, throw some covers in there sometimes and uh, throw some on social media. Who are some of your favorite artists to cover or maybe favorite songs to cover? Oh, um, probably Carrie Underwood. As the, she's the one of my favorite artists to cover because I love her vocal range in all of her songs because like I'm a big belter and I love just like belting my heart out. It's like covering like Before He Cheats and uh, Blown Away. Those are like my favorites to cover. Uh-huh. Now you were talking about uh, doing the national anthem there at uh, Monster Jam, uh, an event there in, in uh, Pittsburgh. You, you know, you, you didn't just uh, sing, but you sang probably the hardest song there is to sing in front of the crowd. <laughs> how, how did that go for you? It actually, honestly, I surprised myself about how well it went. I remember me and my vocal coach back in Pittsburgh, once I got the opportunity, we practiced that like over and over and over again. Cause we're like, I can't, I can't screw this up. And this song is one of the hardest songs. Like I can't mess this up. 
And I got to sing it three times for, there were four months of truck jams shows and I got to sing it three times. And the first time I did it, I, my, I usually don't get that nervous when I go sing in front of people, but I, this time I was so nervous and I didn't, I'm pretty, I don't think I messed up, but I just remember like kind of feeling like out of breath because I was just very nervous. But once I got through the first show, the rest of them kind of like felt like a breeze and I wasn't really nervous anymore. So I, I know uh, you're kind of at that uh, stage in your career where, you, where you're trying to build a following, trying to get out in front of as many people as you can. And then COVID hit and uh, just not a lot of opportunities to get out there and play live. You did a couple festivals, including a virtual festival in 2020. How does it feel to have your music accepted by, by country music fans? It's honestly, it's it's crazy because when I started it, like I really basically started my career like when COVID started. And so basically all we were doing since I couldn't really perform, um, I was really just like writing songs and we were just like just kept writing and kept recording. And I got to do like a couple like driveway concerts in my neighborhood to just get some performance exposure and having my songs like actually out there again. It's, it's kind of crazy because I didn't think I was going to have songs out at 15 and mm-hmm. have them go over so well. And so I kind of just like can't wait to get more out there and get more of a following to show my music. And we talk about so well. You've had two singles released, uh, Digging Your Own Grave and Yours, and those have combined for nearly 100,000 streams on digital platforms already. And that's, you know, one of the main metrics that record labels look at to judge artists these days. Tell me about those songs and just what that means to you to, to see them uh, climbing like they are. Yeah, so Digging Your Own Grave was one of like the first, like I was always writing songs, but I kind of struggled a little bit getting them more like, more like a country song. And so Digging Your Own Grave was like the first real country song that I wrote. And it's literally just about this girl and this guy are dating and she finds out that he's cheating on her. And um, that song was like a lot of fun to write because I came to it. Um, I wrote I wrote it at first and it was completely different. Like the topic was still the same, but the lines were different. I showed it to my team and then we kept going over it. And then they came up with the hook, you're digging your own grave. And I'm like, that's absolutely amazing. And then the streams, once we released it, the streams just kept like building. And we were like in shock that at like this point now it's like, Oh, a little over 50,000 streams. And we're just still in shock that it's still growing. And then we did yours, which is a completely different song. And it's a love song. And this girl and guy are best friends. And this girl wants to be more than friends with this guy. And I felt like it was a very kind of sweet song. And again, we just, we all, me and my team just fell in love with the song. Once we started, like I wrote it, gave it to them. We started co-writing it together. And we released that one again, and we were again in shock. Like, we thought, okay, maybe Digging Your Own Grave was just like, oh, not like a one-hit wonder, but like, maybe, okay, it might slow down with the rest of my songs because I don't really have a following yet. But yours basically did as well as Digging Your Own Grave, and we're still in shock about that. Now you're starting to think there might be something to it, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping so, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Tell me about the video for this one, for Digging Um, Your Own Grave. Yeah, so the video for this one, um, we filmed it during, well, actually, there was a point when we thought we weren't going to do a video for it because of COVID, and everyone was getting very nervous, and then we also were trying to figure out when we could film it, 
since I released it, I released it on my birthday and then everyone was getting busy with everything. COVID was spiking and we were able to film it during my winter break and we filmed it in two days. And the one day was all of the school shooting. And then um, like we went to winter garden to film like all like the love scenes of like when these two characters get together and that that day was a lot of fun because I was able to have all of my friends with me because usually we would cast people, but we were trying to be extra safe. So I had like my really close group of friends with me, even my childhood best friends flew down from Pennsylvania or no, they drove down to Pennsylvania, from Pennsylvania to be in the video. And um, Anthony, who is one of my really good friends, he was the love interest in the, in the video. And so that day was just a lot of fun because we were all very serious, like the entire time, like you'll see like people, like my friends, like talking in the video and that entire time, like they were actually talking, they were almost like cracking jokes and like we were actually like having fun and everyone was smiling and having a great time. And then the next day we went to Cape Canaveral to film the beach scenes. And that day was a lot of fun, not as fun as being with my friends. And also I had to go in the water and let's put my feet in and the water was freezing. And I was like, Dale, the videographer, he was filming me and he's like, I need you to walk in the water. Every time the wave would hit my feet, I would try not to move because my feet were absolutely freezing. But it was still like a lot of fun to film that. What do your friends think about all this? Um, so one of my my all-time best friend who actually wasn't able to be in the video, but she still lives in Pennsylvania. And I don't, we never actually like really talk about it, but I know she definitely supports me and we definitely have like, that. we're really, really close. We just don't, we're not a very emotional best friend. So we don't really talk about that much. But then um, Anthony, who was in the video, we um, were talking about it and he didn't like realize at first how serious like I was taking the, like how serious I was taking my music career. And a lot of my friends didn't realize that like I'm doing these interviews, I'm having meetings with a bunch of people, I have a whole team. And once they realized how serious I was getting with it, they were all kind of a little in shock about it, but they're all, all supporting me with everything and they love that I'm doing this. Well, before we go any further, let's hear one more from Victoria Rose. This is Digging Your Own Grave on Fast Line Fast Track.
that you didn't care. Oh, don't come back to my house. You're not gonna get on breaking the necklace that you gave, adding it to the mess you made. Oh, hope you had fun digging your own grave. I'm breaking the necklace that you gave, adding it to the mess you made. A fierce declaration there from Victoria Rose. Good stuff. Well, I tell you what, I know this last few years has, has been a challenge in terms of trying to build a fan base, but what kind of plan do you have in place for uh, getting able to get back out there and uh, get one-on-one -on -one with fans here and, and to be able to uh, play some live shows and uh, showcase your talents in, in different places? Yeah, um, me and my team were just talking about this last week, and um we, I really, again, like I didn't do much performances. I did maybe like one or two in front of um, like just like in the restaurant and then um, a couple like single release parties, which we invited people to and some people stopped in. And so now we're talking about getting me back out there. And so we have like lots of plans to do like a little, some little performances at a little place called Yellow Dog and um going up to Daytona and try to get some, maybe some more fans up there. I know there's some country music lovers up there. And so we're really just trying to just find anything that we can to go to get me out and to perform. Mm -hmm. What are some of the long-term goals that you have for yourself in the business? Um, well, that's a good question. I honestly, I definitely want to get either like an EP or an album out at some point. And Honest, I honestly just want to be able to do this for a living. So having like a great fan base and having fans that I care about and being able to be having music basically be my life. Like I don't need to be as famous as Taylor Swift and Ariana Grande. That would be fantastic. But I honestly, I really just want to be able just to do this like for my life. Yeah. So take me behind the scenes there a bit at DME Orlando, which for those who are unfamiliar is Dreamwalker Music Evolution, which is operated by Michael and Caroline Walker. How'd you get connected with them and what has DME's involvement meant to your career? So um, my freshman year, I was in a music conservatory program and one of my friends was working with DME. So she referred, she knew I wanted to get more serious with my music career. So she referred me to them. And we met, I think we literally met like a month before COVID shut everything down. And I honestly, I really, I love them as soon as I met them. And I could tell like that this is going to be a great fit. And so now Caroline Walker is now my manager and Michael is my producer. And so they've honestly, I've met with them, whether virtually or in person since we met the first time. And they have helped me so much in my career. Like, I honestly, I don't think I would be here if I didn't have them. Like, I've grown so much, at, like, as an artist and, like, with my social media and, like, with the business side of everything and lyrics and writing music and learning guitar. Like, I started taking guitar lessons when I was in fifth grade, but I've definitely progressed more with while being with Mike. And I honestly, I don't think I would be where I am right now if I didn't have them on my team. 
Mm-hmm. And they've launched the careers of a few artists, including a big machine recording artist, Noah Schnacky, who is getting some airplay now and is about to uh, hit it big in, in country music. So another name out of that camp. What kind of work goes into perfecting your craft as an artist, you know, from developing your vocals to, as you say, practicing instruments and songwriting and, uh, you know, even learning to do interviews like this because you don't just show up and do that stuff. It takes a ton of work and preparation, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Um, I mean, so what I used was what I used to be doing was I would do two two hour sessions with them as with like their artist development, which would be like on a Thursday and Saturday. And now I'm doing four hours just on Thursday. And we try to mainly focus on like developing developing me as an artist. So like vocal drills, like really working on my vocals, doing things to challenge me. Um, learning new things on guitar and we usually always learn like a new song every week so I can always like I always know basically know a new song every week and then we also work on songwriting a lot so like when we go in to write a song sometimes we'll write it all together which we have been doing with a song sometimes I'll write a song like maybe a majority of it or all of it pitch it to them and then we work on it together they'll do the same thing back to me and that is a lot of goes into everything. So like we'll take a song, go through the, each and every line with the melody, with the lyrics, and then go and do a work tape for that. Then we'll come back, maybe change some stuff if we don't like it. And then eventually I go into the booth and we start doing actual vocals and then getting the instrumentation and everything. So even like what you said with the interviews, um, I definitely had to work on that because I love singing in front of people, talking to people. It's been a struggle with me because I'm a very shy person. So I really had to like come out of my shell and be able to talk to people and like tell my story and talk about my songs. So yeah, a lot goes into it. Do you like the whole recording process? Yes, the recording process is like my favorite part. To really just like break down the song and like get to put everything like into it and be with my producer, Mike and Caroline and it's just it's like it's my favorite part is the recording now what how do you feel like your vocal style and your music set you apart from other artists um i feel like my my voice i feel like it's just very i don't i want to say everyone's told me that it's different and that i i also feel like i have very big belting range and so i think that sets me apart because i actually i haven't heard a lot of people with um with like, like now like new artists that have done like a lot of belting and so i feel like that's a little different from me and yeah so you guys moved to orlando about a year and a half ago tell me about what that move was like having to uh, leave behind everything you knew there in pennsylvania and, and come to orlando and how has it been since you've been there so um since i'm originally from like southwestern pennsylvania i was from like a little town and um, we originally moved because I was having a hard time back in my old school. Um, there was a lot of bullying happening. I really only had like my best friend, Sophia. And it honestly, basically at the end of my eighth grade year, I had to drop out of public school and go to cyber school because I, I couldn't take it anymore. And even like my music was struggling. Like I really, I didn't even want to play guitar anymore. I didn't want to do anything. And so my parents and I, we already, we had a house down here as a vacation home and we never planned to move down here full time. But once I had to go to uh, cyber school, we started looking at schools down here specifically for music. And 
it was definitely hard to move and leave the rest of my family in Pennsylvania and leave my best friend that I've been friends with for 12 years. But I'm down here now and I think it's one of the best things that I've done because I've surrounded myself now with so many good people and I've been able to start launch my career. And I've honestly had a blast since I've moved down here. So sadly, it seems like uh, I, I can't hardly get through a day anymore without hearing something in, in some medium about bullying. Um, for anybody who might be watching this that, that, that's around your age, uh, that, that might be experiencing something similar, what, what advice would you give them to, uh, to try to navigate that? Um, I would honestly, I would tell them to really try to focus on yourself. And like, it's really, it's really hard to actually do that because I tried doing it myself. I tried focusing on myself and I tried like ignoring everything. And since I was only in middle school, it was really hard for me to do that. I mean, I still get it now down here. There are people that don't like me and talk about me all the time, but you really, honestly, you need to get in the mindset that they don't know everything about you and you're so much better than what they say about you. And that's really, you really just have to put your mind to that and not care what other people say about you. I think that's good advice uh, for, for anybody to listen to at any age. And uh, man, man, I just, uh, uh, take my hat off to you for being able to endure that and, and come out better on the other side of it. Uh, being down there in Orlando, I understand that uh, you're a big theme park fan. Yes. Yeah. Park to go to. Um, I love going to oh, Hollywood Studios at Disney. It's my favorite one to go to. What's your favorite ride or attraction there? Um, Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster. Yeah, is my there, you favorite. Go. there you go. Good answer. <laughs> That's uh, the best one there. No question about it. <laughs> what, what else do you like to do when you have some free time? Um, so what me and my friends do is we ride around on golf carts at night and just talk and listen to music, which it started when actually quarantine started. That's all we had to do. And there weren't that many teenagers in our neighborhood. So it was really just like me and four other people. And all we did was ride around on a golf cart and just talk and just hang out with each other. And we still do that now. And that's really what I've been doing because my dad's also a germaphobe. So I'm limited on places I'm allowed to go. So going on a golf cart is probably what I do other than going to the parks. Now, uh, you know, we got uh, summer just on the horizon here. Any plans for summer? Um, I know we might be heading back up to Pennsylvania for a little bit this summer. We're hoping to maybe go to Miami to visit my great uncle, but it all depends on what happens with COVID because we're trying to be extra safe. Uh -huh. um, any possibility of being able to get out and, and do a little bit more touring here? Are you starting to get any chatter about places that are starting to open up at all? Uh, yes, I think we're definitely, I'm definitely gonna be able to get out there more now in the summer. I think down in Florida, there are more places that are opening up um, they're, but they're a little bit looser now with some of the COVID guidelines. So I'm hoping we're reaching out to people. I'm hoping that I can get in more places over the summer. And yeah, all I can do is hope is that some places have opened back up. I can get out there and perform more. Uh, -huh. uh, anybody that you would love to work with or anything on your musical bucket list that you want to make sure you do in your career? I would love to do a song with Carrie Underwood. She uh -huh. has been with my for a long time. And so I think it'd be absolutely amazing. Even like, even if it's not like an original song, but just performing with her would be a dream to do that. Uh, 
Uh, you're getting a lot done there being in Orlando, but any, any pull from Nashville to, to come Nashville way and do anything? Uh, yes, we have talked about, I mean, my PR person from ABC Relations is in Nashville. So we're hoping, we were actually supposed to go to Nashville last year and then COVID hit so we couldn't go anymore. We're hoping to get back up there maybe in the summer or f- early fall. And I know there are some places up there that I can go perform, but right now we're not sure when I can get up there, but we're hoping soon. Mm-hmm. So school right now, uh, are you going in person or are you going virtually? I am virtual. Okay. Will you get to go back at all this year? Uh, no. I mean, I could get the chance to go back, but with my music and everything, for me, it's smarter to just stay virtual so I have more time to focus on my music. Mm-hmm. How do you make that balance between uh, the schoolwork, everything you have to get done there, and everything you want to accomplish as an artist? So um, my school, I now go to Windermere Prep High School, and they are very flexible with me. So I can, and I'm also virtual. So if I need some extra time to do things, I have some extra time. They're very flexible to where I can really, and they really want me to succeed. So they're really hope they're they're really very flexible with me. I can do my music when I need to, and I can always get some extra time to do some stuff if it's necessary. Well, earlier we were talking about the song Yours, and I would love for you to go check out the video for this one on YouTube. This is Victoria Rose with Yours on Fast Line, Fast Track. How can I find out what you truly think about me? I know we talk every day, but I want to know all of you straight.
I tell you, you have been uh, you know busy not only uh, recording but writing. Take me behind the scenes of your songwriting process. Tell me about, what, about when you wrote your first song and and how much you devote to that every day or every week. So um, I really started, I like to say I started writing when I was like in elementary. Obviously those songs were not good at all. Um, But then I started progressing with my songwriting. And so when I wrote Digging Your Own Grave, I always start with like, I mean, I usually always start with some sort of melody in my head or like a topic. And then I'll figure out like what key I want to put it in. And I'll usually do like the lyrics, the melody and like the instrumentation all at the same time. Because I feel like for me, I need them all to be put together at the same time. And when I started doing that, I'll u- for the most part, I usually write a full song. And what I've noticed is that my best songs that I write, I usually write in under 30 minutes, which is, surprises a lot of people. Um, but Digging Your Own Grave, since it was really my first song that I wanted to release, still needed some work because I really wasn't growing that much of my lyrics and um so I sent it to my team and they we started just making some edits on it. And then like with the rest of my songs now, I feel like I've grown a lot because now I can really write full songs and people like we like to say you can read it from top to bottom. It makes sense. It's a story. And I think I've, I've definitely tried to put it in different keys with all of my songs. And so once we really take it into the studio, even if it doesn't need that much work, we still go line by line. And make sure everything makes sense. The melodies are all together. And then we really start with the instrumentation and the song kind of from there. It gets all put together as we produce it. Where do you find the inspiration for these songs? So it kind of depends if a lot of my songs I write from watching other people, like Digging Your Own Grave and yours are not personal experiences. So I like to write those from what I've seen from other people, what I've heard from other people, or maybe like even what I've seen on a TV show and just like a certain topic. And I kind of just expand on that with a story. Um, But my song that I released in January, I Don't Miss You, that is my personal experience. And I kept wanting to write a song about this person because we were best friends and I wanted to write a song about her, but we're now not best friends anymore because we went down some rough patches with that. And I wanted to write a song about her, but I couldn't figure out what to write it about. And I kept writing songs about her. I didn't like any of them. And as I was writing this one song, I kept thinking that I was like missing her. And I realized I was only missing the memories with her. And so that was like kind of like clicked. I'm like, wow, that could be a really good song and could resonate with a lot of people, especially people my age that don't have like have an ex best friend. And so, yeah, the inspiration kind of comes from all over the place. Does that uh, feel good to get it off your chest when you can put it out on song like that? Yeah, it, it honestly does. It makes me feel like I can really just get all of my feelings out there. And half the time when I write songs, I'll write a song about, oh no, I'll write like three or four songs about one topic. And then eventually I'll come to one that I really, really like. And like, this could actually be something. And so like writing three or four songs or one or two songs, it really helps. It really feels good, especially if it's a personal experience. Well, I tell you what, uh, it's just going to continue to grow and grow from there as you get those experiences. And and as you uh, keep uh, building that team around you, it sounds like you've put a lot of, good people around you and you're getting some good coaching there. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I saw a social media post that you uh, made here recently about trying to get more focused and doing some journaling. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, so I've had a hard time like really focusing on myself and I kind of get cut off caught up on like little things that don't really matter. I'm like and I honestly like I wasn't happy and then like COVID obviously didn't help with that being cooped up in the house, not being able to do anything. Um, but now I've really been trying to again like focus on myself and really just like take the time to again like like I said like journal and like I get all of my feelings out even if like nothing important happened that day I still write about it write whatever I did that day write whatever I'm feeling and I've been taking time and honestly I didn't believe meditating would work for me but I've been like meditating every once in a while and it actually has really helped me get in like a good mindset either in like for the day or when I'm going to sleep and so yeah I've really just been trying to focus on myself and make myself better and not get so worked up about things. Tell me about the support you get from your parents. Cause I know at this age, you couldn't do any of it without their support. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of support from my parents. If, if my parents didn't give me this much support, I don't know if I would be here also because I'm a very self-conscious shy person and very introverted. And they've definitely kind of taken me out of my shell, just like with my team at DME and, They've backed me financially, mentally, everything, and they dropped everything back in Pennsylvania to move down to Florida with me to help me with my career. And if they didn't do all this stuff for me, I don't think I could honestly be here because they've done so much and I cannot thank them enough for everything that they've done. So your new single, Caught Between, is out now. Tell us about this one. So this song, I actually did not write the lyrics for this song. Um, my manager, my producer actually wrote this song. And this one is about a girl is really trying, it's a coming of age song. And this girl is really trying to figure out who she is. She's like at the age where she doesn't know if she's a girl or if she is technically a woman. And then a boy comes into play that the parents don't approve of. And so she's really just stuck in this place where she really just like, she doesn't know what to be or who she is or like where to go or anything like that. And so like the title of the song, which is really just caught between being a girl and a woman, which is one of the lines in the song. Well, before we get out of here, let's hear this one from Victoria Rose. This is Caught Between on Fast Line, Fast Track. I'll try to color the lines to play in time to tell the line. Don't rock the boat, gotta keep this thing afloat. Rules were there to abide by, but that'll change when you came around my way. Swept me up my feet as they like to say We keep it undercover, no one under the covers But it shouldn't have to be this way I'm caught between being a girl and a woman I'm caught between telling the truth and a lie I'm caught between a rock and a hard place Wanna tell the world that I'm
best new voices there in country music. Thank you. Victoria Rose. What a great song. And I liked the little teaser you put on social media the other day with the with the lyrics there uh, on notebook paper. That was good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Are, are you a big fan of social media? Do you spend much time on it? Um, so I've tried to get better at this because I know I need to do this. Um, I have never, after my whole bullying thing that happened, I kind of started staying off social media. And personally for me, I am not a fan of social media, but I've started to like it more as I've been using it more and really trying to focus on the good things about it and not all the negative things that come from it. But okay. I've definitely been getting better and liking it more. What, what are your platforms of choice? Um, my favorites are Instagram and TikTok. Those are my you. favorites. And, and a lot of what you're doing there uh, creatively fits right in with TikTok, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> If folks want to know more about Victoria Rose, follow your music, uh, uh, download, uh, follow your tour schedule and everything else you've got going on, where can they go to do that? They can find everything on my website, which is victoriarosemusic.com. So make sure you go and do that. Check out her socials. She's got some great uh, social media uh, going on there. Uh, i tell you what, before we get out of here, anything else uh, go, going on that you want us to know about that we should uh, be pointing out about you, your career? Um, I don't think so. No, I think we basically covered any, everything. And I just want to thank you again for having me. And we want to thank you for joining us this week. And we want to thank our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's springtime on Lower Broadway and the perfect time to take in some tunes at one of the nearby establishments like Robert's Western World. Then stop by and buy some new tunes at their Ernest Tubb Record Shop. They've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. So stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fastline Fast Track. Well, have you had the opportunity to check out the all-new Fastline.com yet? If you're in the market for any type of farm equipment or heavy construction equipment, head on over to Fastline.com and check out the equipment locator with the revamped price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's Fastline.com. Com. And while you're on the website, make sure you sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. It's still being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastlineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, Fastline.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at Fastline.com.